book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 18. Philemon 1.18 for our study in the Word of God this morning. That'll be on page 1287 if you're using the Pew Bible this morning. This morning is September 9th, 2018. And our text this morning is going to be in Philemon 1, verses 18 and 19. We're going to camp out on those two verses for a little while this morning. And the title of this morning's message is The Return of a Robber. The Return of a Robber. And we begin with the story of two robbers who one day charged into a lawyer's office, a a legal firm, to rob them, figuring that lawyers make a lot of money. (laughs) But those stingy, tightwad lawyers put up such a fight that the robbers were forced to leave after robbing only a couple of lawyers. As they were speeding away in the getaway car, the the driver told the other robber to count their loot. And he did. And when he finished, he said, well, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we got away with a hundred bucks. And the driver said, well, considering it's lawyers, that's not too bad. What's the bad news? The other robber said, well, we went in there with 300 bucks. <laughs> so, so evidently, the lawyers had robbed them. Well, as you know by now, if you've been with us for this study of Philemon, or if you know your Bible, you know that this epistle is all about a slave named Onesimus who ran away from his master, Philemon. And he met the Apostle Paul, and he got saved, and Paul was returning him to his master in accord with the law of the Roman Empire. And in our text this morning, we see evidence that before Onesimus left, he robbed Philemon. He stole from his master. Speaking of Onesimus, the runaway slave, in verse 18, the Apostle Paul said to Philemon, If he has wronged thee, or owes thee aught, put that on my account. And then in verse 19 he added, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. 
Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self beside. Now, to begin with, it's true that Paul doesn't say how Onesimus had wronged his master. But you know, when he tells him to put that on his account and then says, I will repay it, well, it's not hard to figure that he must have wronged his master financially, right? And in those days, when a slave ran away, he oftentimes stole from his master to finance his escape. And you can understand why a slave might feel justified in doing that. He might figure, you know, my master owes me for all that I've done for him. I mean, I have worked like a dog for years, and all I got out of it was room and board. And it's possible that that's what Onesimus thought, and that's how he justified it in his mind. Now, the question is, is that kind of thinking right or wrong? Well, the Apostle Paul must have thought it was wrong or he, or he wouldn't have told Philemon what to do if Onesimus had wronged him. Now, is there anything you can learn from all of that? Do you have any idea how many people steal from their employer? You know, their master at work. And they justify it by saying, they don't pay me enough. I worked like a dog for years and all I'm getting out of it is $11 an hour or whatever it is they're paying you. Experts say that businesses lose about $50 billion with a B dollars a year due to employee theft. And listen, businesses aren't stupid. They're in business to make money, not lose it. So you know what they do about that. They raise their prices to cover those losses. And that means that employees who steal from their employers, they're not just hurting their boss, they're hurting all of us. And Paul says that it is wrong. So if you're doing it, stop. (laughs) Now, don't get insulted that I would tell you not to steal. uh, Thinking that you're too spiritual to steal. Uh, I agree. We have a pretty spiritual group of people here. I know most of you pretty well. But you know what? In the Bible, the Ephesians were the most spiritual church that Paul wrote to. And look what he wrote to them in your first reference in Ephesians 4, verse 28. He said, let him that stole steal no more. 
<laughs> well, he wouldn't have had to say that unless he thought some of them were stealing. You've heard me say many times, beloved, that any Christian is capable of any sin. If we weren't, Paul wouldn't bother to say things like, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and all the other sins that he tells us not to do. Now, if the shoe doesn't fit you, <laughs> you don't have to wear it, right? But it is my job to teach the Word of God, and the Word of God through Paul says not to steal. And you know what also it says in your next reference in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12? Let him that thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall. Just because you're not stealing now doesn't mean you never will. And that's not me suggesting that. that that's God. But now, you'll notice that Paul doesn't seem to know for sure if... Onesimus stole from him. You know that because he tells uh, Philemon what to do if Onesimus wronged him. Well, that means Onesimus didn't tell Paul that he'd stolen from his master before leaving, and that's probably because if he did, he was ashamed of himself. I get letters from prisoners literally every week. And they almost never, in 17 years of doing this, they almost never have told me what they did that got them imprisoned. And you know what? I don't ask. Because I don't need to know what they did to, to answer their Bible questions or to build them up in the faith. And you need to know that if you need spiritual help, you don't have to meet with me for counseling and tell me things that might embarrass you. You just keep coming to church, hear the Word of God taught, and probably you'll hear something you need to help you with your problems. And if you don't, well then, let me know and we'll get together and open the Word of God together. But, you'll notice that Paul says if Onesimus did steal from his master, then he owed something to his master. Beloved, when you steal from somebody, God considers it a debt that you owe to pay that person back. In ancient Israel, it was required that you had to pay the person back if you got caught stealing from them. Look at your next reference in Exodus 22 and verse 1. God said through Moses to the people of Israel, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it, or sell it. He shall restore, pay it back, five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. In those days, if you stole an animal, you had to pay it back with interest. 
That way, the victim of your crime was compensated for his loss and for his trouble. Now, compare that to how we punish thieves. We lock them up at the taxpayer's expense. So that the the guy that the thief stole from not only doesn't get compensated, he has to pay room and board for the thief. (laughs) Now, I'm not real smart, and maybe there's a reason why that wouldn't work today in our society, but it sure seems to me is worth a try, don't you think? I mean, the experts tell us that our prisons aren't really rehabilitating people. And I can tell you, even the saved prisoners that I hear from, the ones who know the grace message, a few of them over the years have gotten out of prison, and they write me and let me know they're out, and then they're back in. So our prison system must really be doing a number on people. Well, I think that the reason that Paul's offering to pay Onesimus's debt is because Onesimus was broke and and couldn't pay it himself now that he was saved. After all, remember what we talked about. When he ran away from his master, he ran 1,200 miles from Rome all the way, I'm sorry, from Colossae all the way to Rome. And, you know, 1,200 miles, especially in those days, trip that far, I'll eat up your funds in in a hurry. That's why I think the way that he met the Apostle Paul was he got to Rome and he ran out of money. He's broke. He needed a job. So he got a job at the prison where Paul was incarcerated. And that's how he met the Apostle Paul. But now, here's the thing. In those days, if you couldn't repay what you stole, and nobody was offering to repay it for you like Paul was, then they threw you in prison. Look at your next reference. Matthew 5, 25 and 26. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And He says, The judge will deliver you to the officer, and you'll be cast in prison, and thou shalt by no means come out thence till you have paid the uttermost farthing. If you couldn't afford to repay what you stole, they put you in prison for it. Till you paid it. You say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> if you're in prison, how are you going to be making money to repay your debt? Well, you would pay for your crime the same way prisoners today do when they put them in prison. With the loss of their time and the loss of their freedom. Follow me for a minute here. When you commit a crime, you wrong the people of your state. Did you ever watch Law and Order or one of those other courtroom dramas? How do they announce the case? They always say, the people versus John Doe in the matter of whatever crime or whatever it is you're charged with. 
But after you're convicted and you serve your time and they release you, they say you have paid your debt to society, to people, right? To the people you wronged. You paid for it with the loss of your time and your freedom. Now, if you've been with us for this study, you know that I've been saying that this book, this this book of Philemon, is a book of illustrations. It doesn't teach any Pauline doctrines. It illustrates Pauline doctrines. And when Onesimus wronged his master by stealing from him, that's an illustration of how when men sin, they wrong their master, God. And when they do, God considers it a debt that they owe him. And you know that because when the Lord taught the twelve apostles to pray, what did he tell them to say in your next reference in Matthew 6 and verse 12? He taught them to pray Forgive us our sins, right? Is that what yours says? If it does, it's a misprint. No, he says, you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, those who have sinned against us. And you know he's talking about sins because two verses later, in your next reference, he says, for if ye forgive men their debts, no, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also Forgive you. So, God considers sin a debt that you owe to Him. The same way society considers crime a debt to society. And the thing about the debt that sinners owe to God, folks, it's a debt they cannot pay. Because sinners are broke, spiritually speaking. That they, they can't repay God for the, the debt they owe Him because they don't have anything that God wants. And what did the Lord say happened in those days if you couldn't repay the debt you owed? You went to prison till you paid the last farthing. Now, when the Lord said that, He wasn't just reminding them of how the law operated. He was teaching them that God operates the same way. He was teaching them that if you owe God a debt you can't pay, you have to go to the prison of hell to pay it. And you know that's what he meant because in your next reference I gave you the fuller version of those verses. That's how the Lord introduced those verses. He was talking in Matthew 5, 22 to 26 about the danger of hellfire. And then he said, the judge will deliver you to the officer and you'll be cast into prison. He's talking about the prison of hell. And thou shalt by no means come out thence till you've paid the uttermost farthing. Hell is a place that sinners go to to pay their debt to God. And they don't just 
pay their debt to God with the loss of their time and, <clears throat> and their freedom. You know that because the Lord told a parable about a man who couldn't pay his debts in your next reference in Matthew 18 and verse 34. His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. When unsaved sinners wrong God and can't pay the debt, they got to go to the prison of hell, folks, where they are tormented for their debts. And they have to stay there till they have paid their debts. Till they have paid the last farthing of their debt to God. But the thing about that is, a sin against an eternal God demands an eternal punishment. The reason hell has to be eternal is that men can never suffer from the tormentors enough to repay God for the enormity of their sin against Him. Now, all of that shows that it's wrong to say, as some of our pastors are saying, that the sins of unbelievers are already forgiven. Listen, if that was true, then the Lord wouldn't have said that men have to go to the prison of hell to pay their debts to God, right? Folks, look at your next reference. People go to hell because of their sins, not because their sins are forgiven. In Ephesians 5, verses 3-6, to Paul talks about some sins. And he says fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness and filthiness. And then he says, because of these sins cometh the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. People go to hell because they owe a sin debt to God that they cannot pay. Their only hope is to let Christ pay their debt, right? And that's something else we see illustrated in our text. When Paul said to Philemon, if he owes you anything, put that on my account. You know what? That's exactly what Jesus Christ said to God the Father about the sin debt that you can't pay. Put it on my account. Now, an account, I looked up the definition of the word account. An account is a registry of debits and credits. And you know that. If you have a bank account, (laughs) you know when you put money in it, they credit you. When you take money out, they debit you, right? I like to order out from Briscoe County Restaurant in, uh, I think it's Germantown, Wisconsin, when I'm up at Brian Bible Society, and they have a rewards card. Looks like that. And you can use it to add points to every time you eat there and, and get a free meal pretty frequently. But here's the thing, when you present the card to the cashier, you have to tell the cashier if your 
adding points that day or you're using the points to pay for a free meal that day. So I always give the card to the cashier and I say, all right, now add to that. And uh, then just for fun, when I go to pay with my debit card, I say, and add to that too, would you? You know, and, uh, and they don't think it's very funny either. So. <laughs> but, but listen, when, when, uh, when an unsaved man When an unsaved man sins, God considers it a debt. So he debits his account. The problem is the unsaved man has no way to credit his account. People think they do when they do good things, right? That that somehow that credits uh, uh, their account with God. But that is not what God says in your next reference in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. He says, all of our righteousnesses, Isaiah says, are as filthy rags. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Now you would think that doing good things would credit your account, right? But God says... Doing righteous things, if you're unsaved, is unrighteous. It's like filthy rags. And that puts unsaved men in a pretty tight spot, wouldn't you say? They need righteousness credited to their account. But they don't have any way to earn it. That's where God comes in. In your next reference, in Romans 4 and verse 5, He says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is, there's that word, counted for righteousness. God doesn't count it. He doesn't count doing good works for righteousness. God counts faith for righteousness. If you have faith, God credits righteousness to your account with Him. And you know what faith is, according to your next reference. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is believing what God said. But now i got a question for you. How can God righteously do that? I mean... How can he count righteousness to your account just for having faith in something that he said? Well, the answer is that God can righteously do that because of what he's asking you to have faith in. And what he's asking you to have faith in is in your next reference, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Speaking of God, it says, He, God, has made Him, Christ, to be sin for us. The Christ who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, to settle your sin debt account, God did a little accounting of His own. He counted your sins to Jesus Christ as He hung on Calvary's cross. And then He punished Him for your sins. When you have faith in that, God counts 
Christ's righteousness to you. That's how he could righteously count faith for righteousness. He he didn't just sweep your sins under the rug and, and let you go free like a crooked judge might do. He paid your debt himself like no judge would ever do. But now I gotta tell you, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 there, when Paul says that God made Christ to be sin, that makes a lot of believers really, really squeamish. They don't like the idea of the sinless, spotless Son of God being made sin. So, they point out that the Hebrew word for sin was the same as the Hebrew word for the sin offering. And by pointing that out, they're trying to say, well, the Lord wasn't made sin for us. He was made a sin offering. And you know what? That's true. But that's what happened to the sin offering in the Old Testament. That animal was made sin and then died for the sinner. You know, I'm not comfortable with the idea of the Lord being made sin either, folks. But there's an old saying that applies here, and that is, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, right? And here's... If you really want to talk about getting squeamish, did you notice Paul didn't just say that God made Christ to be sinful for us? He said He made Him to be sin itself. You say, well, that sounds bad. What's it mean? (laughs) Well, it means there is a reason why the Lord said what He said in your next reference in John chapter 3. And verse 14. In John 3.14, the Lord said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you ever wonder why the Lord would compare Himself to a serpent? If you were here for our Scripture reading in Numbers 21, you know why. It was because when the Jews rebelled against God, God sent fiery snakes among them and bit a lot of them. And when they repented, He told Moses to lift up a serpent on a pole. And whoever looked on the serpent would live and not die. And that was a type, an Old Testament picture of how looking to Christ can save you. But again, why would God use a serpent to symbolize Christ? If you know your Bible, you know the serpent. and The Bible's the devil. The the, the very personification of, of evil. Well, the reason He picked a serpent to represent Christ on the cross is because that dark day The Lord Jesus Christ was made the personification of evil. Sin itself. What transpired on that cross was so unspeakably holy 
that Paul said in your next reference, in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Talking about the gift of Christ on the cross. Do you ever wonder what made God's gift so unspeakable? That's it. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, right? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Time out. Isn't that what Paul himself did in your very next reference? First, in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every one that hangs on a tree. Was he speaking by the Spirit of God when he wrote that? Shake your head up and down. Or say amen. One of the two. Amen. Well, that's what made God's gift so unspeakably holy, folks. Because what happened 2,000 years ago on that cross was almost blasphemous. Look at Proverbs 17 and verse 15. Look what God said back here. He said, He that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that what God did on the cross? He justified wicked sinners like us. And He condemned someone who was just. The Lord Jesus Christ. So what's going on here? How can God break His own rule there, His own law? Is He like the politicians that make laws for us, but they don't feel the need to <laughs> follow, them, follow the laws they make themselves? No, you know better than that. No, God took your sins, laid them on Christ, and then condemned the wicked, the Christ who'd been made wicked. And when you have faith in that, He takes His righteousness and lays it on you. You know what? The world world has a, a, a term for that. They would call that creative accounting. <laughs> but, but you know when you hear about that in the world that that's somebody's breaking the law. Somebody's doing some cooking the books and doing some creative accounting in the wrong way to, to benefit themselves. God did it in a righteous way to benefit us. And you're seeing that illustrated when Paul says to Philemon, put Onesimus' sins, his wrongs, on my account. And then he says in verse 19, I, Paul, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I'll repay his debt. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Now, the reason Paul says he wrote with his own hand there, you know, is because he usually dictated his letters, right? According to your next reference. 
He had an eye affliction. He couldn't see well enough to write. So he dictated letters like in Romans 16.22. You, you get to this end of the of Paul's first epistle and you, and it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Paul wrote this epistle. He did. But he dictated it to the guy who actually wrote it. Tertius. But here, here in Philemon, he grabs the pen from probably Onesimus, who he's dictating it to. He grabs it and, and, and he, because he has just vowed to pay a debt. So he wants to make sure to make that promise, make that vow, to pay that debt in his own writing. Something that Philemon could take into court someday and insist that Paul pay it if he wanted to. And you know what, folks? When it comes to Jesus Christ's payment for your debt, you too have it in writing. If someday you were to find yourself in the courtroom of God, hearing yourself condemned because of your sins and the debt you owe God, you could hold up the written Word of God. The book written by the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, I got it in writing that my sins were put on His account. You say, well, that'll never happen. I'm saved. I'm never going to get dragged into God's courtroom and have to appear. Well, you know what? That's true. But you know what else would never happen? Philemon would never go to court and make Paul pay Onesimus' debt. Because of what he says there at the end of verse 19, he says, because you owe me even your own self besides. After Paul promises to pay Philemon what Onesimus owes him, he reminds him of what he owed Paul. And you got to love how he did that. He says, did you notice I'm not mentioning the debt you owe me? <laughs> so, in, in not mentioning it, he mentions it. Now the question is, what does that mean? That he, he owed Paul his own self besides. Well, it could mean that Paul had saved his life physically. But it's more likely he led him to the Lord, right? And saved his life eternally! Or you know what? I was thinking, it could be both. Think about it. Before Philemon got saved, maybe he himself was a runaway slave or a drunk in the gutter or or a prisoner in prison paying his debt to society. And salvation turned his life around, making him into the the prosperous man we've seen him to be here. If that's so, Philemon owed him his eternal life for leading him to the Lord and everything that he had in this life. You say, well, why is Paul bringing this up? Oh, he's implying that that Philemon owes Paul a debt that he can never repay for leading him to the Lord, right? Right? Now, I don't know if you feel that way about whoever led you to the Lord, but I'll tell you this, you should feel that way about the Lord. 
You should, you should feel that you owe him a debt you can never repay. That's what's being illustrated here. You may not just owe the Lord your eternal life, folks. Did you ever stop to think where you might be if you hadn't gotten saved? Even the world has that old saying there, but for the grace of God, go I will. We who are saved by grace ought to know that that's probably truer of us than maybe what we'd like to admit. And after all that Paul did for Philemon, he would probably never expect Paul to give him any more by paying Onesimus' debt. Is that how you feel about Jesus Christ this morning? After all He's done to give you eternal life, do you still expect Him to give you more? Do you still expect Him to make this life paradise? Do you still expect Him to give you good health, good wealth, and solve all your problems? If that's the case, i got something for you. Ask not what your Savior can do for you. (laughs) Ask what you can do for your Savior. Now think about it. President Kennedy said that, that ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, to remind them of all that their country had already done for them and how they should live for their country because of it. To repay their country. Well, isn't that what Paul says in your last reference there in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15? The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge if one died for all, they which live, they which have eternal life because of his death for all, should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Did you ever wonder why he adds that last part? And rose again. You know, if somebody saves your life, you feel like living for them, don't you? To, To show how grateful you are. But if somebody dies saving your life, you can't live for them to show how grateful you are. But you can for the Lord who died to save you and rose again. Since He lives after dying for you, you have a unique opportunity to show how grateful you are. But if you're not saved this morning, if you're not saved and while I was talking, you were thinking, well, I don't think it's right that God torments people in hell for their debts. If you don't think it's fair that God punishes men more than society does by just, you know, taking away their time and their freedom, you need to know it is fair because you don't have to go to hell. You see, that torment that you would have to endure for all eternity, the Lord endured that for you. Being an eternal being, He endured that eternity of torment on the cross. 
You won't find a judge willing to serve time for you after he sentences you to 90 days or 90 years. But your Savior took your torment. And all He asks you to believe to be saved is that He took your torment. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this book of illustrations and we're thankful that Paul covered the basics. The, the accounting that we needed to save us from our sins. We praise Thee this morning that we went from being hopelessly in debt to being gloriously saved. And we thank You for it in the name of the One who paid the price for it, Jesus Christ. Amen.